Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, hola, mi gente. I'm Jessica Yanez, and this is the Wine and Chisme podcast, a podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from BIPOC communities doing remarkable things, all while sipping on a glass of wine. So welcome to your new Wednesday. The Wine and Chisme Wednesday. Hola, hola, mi gente. Welcome to another episode of the Wine and Chisme podcast. I am your host, Jessica Yanez, and I am here with Grace. Gre- I was about to like go Grace. <laughs> <laughs> like like my mom, <laughs> my mom and dad. <laughs> uh, is it double L I could, or is it Gavianes or is it Gavilanes? It's just L. Yeah. Okay. So- yeah, Gavilanes, Gavilanes, whatever, <laughs> whatever you prefer. I know, I, you know, it's certain things when you see you're so used to seeing it, you just like your brain automatically goes into that thing. Cause I was like, I was saying all morning Gavilanes and I was like, wait, it's, I think it's only one L. Is it one L or two L's? Yes. And then, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. I feel an instant connection with people who say it in the Latin way. Like whenever I hear Grace, Gavilanes. I'm like, yes, this is my people. <laughs> Instant connection. But I'm so used to saying Grace Gavilanes, just like growing up, you know. Girl, I used to <laughs> with a lot of white people. Thing. And then I stopped. I was like, you know what? Right. People say these very complicated European names. You can say Yanyes. I no longer not say it with the accent. When I introduce myself, I say it how it should be said. My boss is Latino as well. And when he says his last name, I'm like, he's actually gotten better about not because he, but when people ask me what his name is, I say how to pronounce it correctly, because it's very, very important that we don't let people erase who we are and a Mm -hmm. part of who we are the names that we carry. Yeah, I I love that. And I am going to start taking that advice. It's so funny. Yay. I'm just so, I've been so conditioned to just be like, oh, Grace Gavilanes, like you're probably not going to pronounce it right. So let me just make it easier for you. But you're right. It's, I'm erasing unintentionally, but still removing that part of myself, which is just hearing you say that. It's like, oh my gosh, like I don't want to do that. I'm so proud of where I come from. So I think it's, it's something easy that I'll just start doing for myself so thank you <laughs> oh no that makes me so happy I can't wait to hear like you're gonna be like girl yes yes <laughs> say it the right way. <laughs> we're not even five minutes into this interview and I'm inspired already I'm like I'm gonna oh. change my life <laughs> <laughs> the way I introduce myself to people is gonna change oh that's so amazing that you know what I was looking and I'm so excited to talk to you and everything because I was reading like I was on your website and I was reading your bio and I was like, oh yes, I love this because representation in media is very, very important mm-hmm. in all forms. And I'm talking from news 
I'm talking from TV, movies, podcasts, writing, all of these things are very, very important. And I love when people are able to write for large entities, that you just happen to be a Latina who's written for large entities. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Not, I'm only doing this because I'm Latina, mm-hmm. right? And I think that there's opportunities we need to take, but just reading your bio, I was very inspired by seeing the things that you have done. And we've interviewed a lot of very similar people, a lot of the same people. Yeah. I I did see that you interviewed Julissa Prado. Yes. I Um, love her. So Julissa Prado is, I will say when I interviewed her and I actually have become friends with Lisette from Chic Influence. And I interviewed Lisette like my very first year on the podcast. Love that. And one thing is I have a lot of trauma surrounding my hair. Mm-hmm. And I was recently talking about that with somebody else that I had just interviewed. And nobody knew how to do my hair. Nobody understood mm-hmm. my hair because I have big curly hair. And when I lived in Dallas for so long, the humidity and everything, I used to straighten my hair a lot. So when I moved back home to California, I was like, I don't want to straighten my hair anymore. I want to get my curls back. And her products really helped me revive my curls. And really, and not that I never embraced my curls or when I was younger, I didn't embrace my curls. As an adult, I did like my curls, but they had loosened up so much from straightening it. Mm. Then now I get my, like to see my spirals back is love it. Her story, her journey has been very inspiring, but the products that she has worked so hard to develop and share have truly been life-changing for me. Mm-hmm. I'm so inspired. I'm so inspired by her. I also use the products as well. It's so funny just hearing you say how you used to straighten your hair all the time. That was what I would do. It's up right now because it's very dirty. Same, <laughs> very girl, tomorrow's wash like, day. Like, oh gosh. <laughs> um, but it's so funny growing up, I would beg my mom to take me to the hair salon. Like I need it to be straight. I mean, from a young age, I was very, my dream was to work at a magazine. But when I think about it now, just looking back, Everyone that I saw in those magazines were very white, <laughs> did not exactly look like people that I grew up with, for example. Yeah. In my family, it was very different. So I think in a lot of ways, I was just trying to mimic that look where I wanted to fit in. I wanted to look like the be- beautiful people on the pages of these magazines, right? Or TV shows that I was watching, movies. And so I just, that was my goal at a young age. I get it. Even now, when you see people when they first start, like, for example, Julie Roberts, curly Mm -hmm. hair, curly Mm -hmm. hair. And I'm not and I was just thinking of hair like I've definitely will get into all the other stuff. But when I just think of like curly hair, curly hair, like somebody like Julie Roberts and Nicole Kidman, they had very curly hair, especially Nicole Kidman. And then as soon as they made it big, they no longer wore their hair curly. And that made me so sad because I don't think they realize how many people truly notice that. How many young little girls will see people's movies and they're like, oh my gosh, even if they're not a reflection of who they are, but something as small, like as something like hair, which impacts so many people, they Mm -hmm. get so excited to see somebody, oh, she has hair like mine. And then as soon as they hit it big, boom, there it goes straight. And it's so Mm -hmm. disheartening and it's so sad. 
So, okay, let me read your bio. Oh. Actually, <laughs> we got sidetracked. We're like already into it and everything. <laughs> what wine are you drinking today, Grace? So I can actually show you. I have it right here, so I'm definitely going to refill it. It's 19 Crimes, just a red blend, 2018. Big mm -hmm. fan. It's also in my Mean Girls glass. It's my favorite one that I have. I don't know if you can see it. Oh, oh. <laughs> you, you whore. I love that. <laughs> so um, it just makes me happy. Have you done the 19 Crimes where the the label comes to life? No. So there's an app that you can do. Um, and then you put your camera, like you go into the app, you put your camera over the label and then the label comes to life. And the guy that's on the label starts talking. Oh, I have to check starts that out. telling you his that's story. So cool. Yeah. 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 That's it's, really cool. It's very, very cool. It's very interactive. Like, and 19 grams, I haven't, tasted the snoop dog version but i've tasted the one that you have and it yeah. actually is very good and it's not like crazy price point or anything like that yeah i tasted the snoop dog version actually i want to say like two weeks ago it's really good is it yeah I've it's heard, really good i've heard both sides like some people are like oh no and some people oh, are really yeah but i think he has different versions i think he has a red blend i don't know if, and i think a rose so i'm not sure oh okay so I'm having, because it is 11 o'clock in the morning, we're still prior to <laughs> noon, but that doesn't stop me. <laughs> One of my favorite whites is this Say Soles white blend. So I'm trying to keep oh, it light yeah. this morning. And it is by Chris Rivera. Um, I've had Say Soles several, several times on the podcast. People mm -hmm. are probably like, again, but <laughs> boy keeps sending me wine. I'm not going to say no, and it's good. So... <laughs> It's a good breakfast wine. Yeah, uh, yes. And it's just a really good like summer wine, a really good light wine. And this one is his 2021 blend. And it's 62% Albarino, 38% Grenache Blanc. It is actually really good and it's light. And it's probably one of my favorite whites, to be perfectly honest. So, salud. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good thing, good thing. So let me read your bio. <laughs> As a former magazine editor turned digital editorial strategist, Grace has held leadership positions at award-winning media publications and highly regarded CPG brands, both in full-time and freelance capacities. Whether she's interviewing Drew Barrymore on the red carpet or optimizing an article for SEO, she always makes sure the story she's telling is one that's clear, concise, accurate, and on-brand. It's how she approached every listicle, Kim Ye's relationship timeline, anyone? And long-form articles during her time as a writer, editor at people.com. When she's not brainstorming campaign messaging, putting the finishing touches on a reported feature, or binging season six of Vanderpump Rules again, she can be found under a weighted blanket and sticker-clad laptop managing her passion project, Viva La Mujer, and freelance copywriting and editing for Who? Youth to the People, Pros and Sunday writing. It made me really excited to see this because it's very diverse. Like mm -hmm. the things that you've done are very diverse. And I love that you were saying that in the questionnaire that I always ask, that I always give to people, you really say your aim is always to bend to make others in our community feel seen, valued, and less alone. So let me just pop it off before we get into like how you grew up and all that. By what you do, you know, I'm sure you've seen or you've heard that if you see it, you can be it. And by what you do, 
you are making others feel seen, valued, and less alone because there's a little girl out there or there's a young woman out there who sees your byline and is like, if she can do it, I can do it. So I just wanted to just start off with that. You're going to make me cry. It is 218 <laughs> right now in New York, and I'm about to cry. No, I, I really appreciate those words. I always say, you know, I very much, I'm 31 years old. I feel a lot of the times like a 12, 13 year old. And so I think about 12 and 13 year old Grace so often. And I think about the things that you mentioned, you know, I want to make others feel alone, uh, feel alone. Oh my gosh, feel less alone. <laughs> and a lot of the stuff that I write, you know, I, I'm very passionate about openly discussing mental health and, you know, my battle with anxiety and depression and just being very open about those things. Because growing up, I wasn't really surrounded by people that talked about those things, especially being first gen. My parents are Ecuadorian, grew up Ecuadorian American in Queens. It was pretty diverse for the most part. But then, you know, going to high school, college, I was surrounded by a lot of white people. And it was it was tough. You know, I felt I felt alone and just finding my community. I want to say like in my early twenties, just, it was a, it was a big sense of relief for me, you know, really connecting with people that grew up the same way, like I did, who were very open about talking about things that, you know, impact our community and, and mental health specifically. So I really try to write in a way that is like, I want to be that big sister to someone virtually, you know, through an article or uh, like a podcast interview, for example. So yeah, I really appreciate those words. So you yeah. say your parents are from Ecuador. Yes. Um, and first of all, I don't say anything if I don't mean it. I'm not going to say it. Like, I just rather shut my mouth, which is hard sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate the honesty. <laughs> um, so when did your parents move to Ecuador and why did they choose New York of all places to settle and live their life? Yeah, so my parents grew up like 30 minutes away from each other in Ecuador. Um, they actually met in Queens, which is really funny. But my dad came to New York specifically because he had an uncle here. And so he helped his uncle out, was working for him. And my mom had a similar situation where my aunt or her aunt was also living in Queens. And she came to stay with her. Turned out that uh, my mom's aunt was really good friends with my dad. And that's kind of how they met. Um, but my dad has been in this country for over 40 years at this point. Yeah. So he came when he was 19. My mom came when she was, I think, closer to 30. They they met and fell in love. And I, you know, they had me and yeah, it's been a wild ride. <laughs> yeah. I'm really happy that they chose New York because for what I'm doing specifically, you know, starting my career off in media, there's no place like New York. You know, I had the luxury of just being a subway right away from the city. So I could do those internships. True. I was able to stay at home, you know, and not like I went to school in Long Island. And when it came time to do these internships, I just, you know, my parents you know, are very, very much like, Hey, stay at home until, until you get married. Very traditional in that way. Right. Um, I didn't like, I don't live with them anymore, but like back during that time, I felt very grateful because if I lived out of state, or wasn't living with my family, I wouldn't have been able to do those internships and to make those connections and network and just intern as much as possible during those college years. So I feel very, very grateful. And I always 
always say thank you to them. I think at this point, just being 31, they're kind of like, yeah, we know, like you proved yourself to us, like in terms of following this career that isn't financially stable, but, and they had their reservations in the beginning, but I think just seeing how hard I worked and how passionate I was, like they eventually accepted it. And yeah, I, I think they know how grateful I am. <laughs> I thank them a lot. I try to buy them groceries whenever I can. I'm very grateful that they were selfless enough to do these things for me, to let me, you know, live with them for as long as I did. And honestly, to move to New York. So I think if they moved to Kentucky, for example, it would be a lot harder for me. I don't think I'd be a writer <laughs> at yeah. this point in my life. So. No, and I love that you acknowledge even the the privilege of proximity. Oh, yeah. Right. Because I think sometimes we think when we think of privilege, we think of wealth, we think of ethnicity, we think of the color of our skin, we think of those stuff. Of, but there is a privilege in proximity as well. So, you know, I'm, I think that's really rad that you even acknowledge that. Yeah. Because I think people don't even think about it. I don't even know if I ever thought about it until you were actually saying it. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, yeah. No, I always say like, I grew up very privileged in that way. Like I had the luxury of literally being a seven minute walk away from the F train, you know, and just being 45 minutes away from the city. While I was doing it, it felt like a very long commute. But then it, it hit me like I knew people that were commuting from Connecticut from like, deep in New Jersey, just to get to the city to intern for free, essentially. And I talked to like, for example, my boyfriend who had dreams of becoming a journalist when he was younger. And eventually he ended up finding a passion elsewhere. But, you know, he would tell me, you know, it, it was really hard, like he considered interning, but he couldn't because he was working, you know, this job was, you know, had to pay rent, all these different things. And I kind of stopped him there and told him, you're super talented, you would have been able to do it if you had like the luxury that I had of being able to stay at home, you know, of being able to not like I I had a job in college, but it wasn't something that like I needed to like my parents were very supportive in that way where they wanted me to focus on my studies and focus on my internship because they knew how passionate I was. So I kind of had that free pass. And so I, I never tried to hide that. Like this is, you know, I, I was, I grew up very privileged in that way where I didn't have to worry about working two jobs. Like my parents made a lot of sacrifices for me and my sister to be able to take advantage of those opportunities in school. And so I like to remind people like, getting into this industry is incredibly difficult and very competitive, but I feel like I definitely had that advantage where I was able to do these internships because of you know not having to have like this extra job like I really just focused on school and my internships and, and made the most of it but I really do believe that if other people who were just as passionate about this career had that same opportunity they would be able to do what I'm doing right now you know yeah yeah so. I want to go back to something kind of, we kind of touched on or you mm -hmm. and you shared at the beginning and we're and which is community now what kind of community did you have growing up in the Bronx? Because you did talk about like, you felt like you were always trying to search for like your people in school. So how was it in your community versus school versus them finally going, getting into college or even post-college actually finding your people? Yeah. So I grew up in Queens and I like at a very young age, my, my parents will like 
bring this up from time to time, but I remember very vividly, like pre-K kindergarten, I was a very, very quiet kid. Like I had very bad social anxiety and I still struggle with it. But back then I was, it was really scary for me to raise my hand and to say anything, anything in class. I was very much an overthinker, even at that young age where I, you know, was being taken to school counselors who thought that I wasn't speaking because something was happening at home and nothing was happening at home. But there was this weird, like, even at that young age thinking, am I different? Like, what is going on? Where like all these kids are like connecting and like they're, you know, playing and like, it's so easy for them to, to do that. But for me, I very much felt like an outsider. And obviously, you know, years later, therapy, talking to my therapist is definitely like working through those problems has definitely helped. But I think back then, it was definitely harder because of that. Also, like in school and elementary school, I did grow up with a diverse, like in a diverse community. So I wasn't the only like, first gen kid there. Like I grew up my best friend growing up was, uh, and she still is my best friend to this day is Trinidadian, you know, I a lot of my best friends were Indian, Colombian, it wasn't until going to high school where it was kind of like a culture shock. I, I was just surrounded by a lot of Italian Americans, Irish Americans. It was a lot of white people and nothing against them. It was just this really weird, like, oh, I don't really feel super, like, I don't, I don't think they get me or I don't really think they understand how I grew up or why my parents are this way or like why they're so strict. And it was just like this very strange, like, and I don't know if you kind of felt this way too growing up, but it, it's different. Just like not not having that that sense of community or not feeling super understood in that way. And it kind of carried over to college. Like I, you know, went to a very white school and, you know, I, I because I was super into like that journalism program that they had, it was all the way out in Long Island. And it was kind of similar where I didn't really have that campus experience. So I didn't really meet too many people. And it wasn't until, you know, going to these different networking events or going to like Latino specific events where I felt like, oh my gosh, okay, these are my people. Like I feel super seen and I feel like we could talk about the same things. And I didn't feel like I was acting a certain way to fit in, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, you didn't have to code switch. In yeah, your- exactly. Like it was, it was tough for a long time there, but I think, you know, now being 31, <laughs> I I feel... I feel good. I feel more secure, more confident in who I am. And girl, wait till you hit your forties. It's going to be even better. Oh my gosh. I hear that. And honestly, a lot of people were like, have told me that it's like forties, fifties, like it's, it's the best time. And I I'm excited. I'm not, I am not the person that's like scared of growing older. Honestly, I feel more confident now than I did at 21. You can, you should yeah, and like you can't pay me to like go back to twenty. I do not want to go back to twenty one. I was miserable, you know. I was and, a hot mess oh, at twenty one. <laughs> I oh my gosh, I was so insecure. And I mean, I'm human, you know. I have like the same insecurities as other people, but it's not to the level that it was when I was twenty one, twenty two. I at that age was like super obsessed with with getting quote unquote fit. Looking back now, it's it was a very dangerous way of trying to be healthy. You know, I was working out twice a day, was not eating sugar. I love chocolate chip cookies, like not being able to, or telling myself that I wasn't allowed to eat a chocolate chip cookie or eating a piece of cake was just so extreme. 
And I was just so obsessed with controlling that part of me that, I mean, I'm drinking wine right now. Like this is my second glass of wine and I'm happy. You know, I it makes me happy. <laughs> you know, I'm just so like happy with who I am compared to how I was back then. So yeah, totally like bring it on. I'm so excited <laughs> for 40. I'm so excited for 50. It's gonna be a blast. And it's so hard to kind of fully explain. You know it when you feel it, right? Because yeah. same thing. When I was in my 30s, I was like, I actually got I had a huge party when I was 30. My then my now ex-boyfriend, then boyfriend through like this huge party for me on the rooftop of this bar. Oh, I love that. And we had such a celebration. I was like really excited to turn 30. 40 was like, okay, cool. And I just turned 45. Was you like... don't look 45, by the way. You <laughs> don't. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the wine. It's all the wine. It <laughs> preserves me. <laughs> this is what I was telling somebody. I... I I've always taken care of my face. I always wash my makeup off. I don't ever go to sleep with makeup. I drink a ton of water. Like my just daily regular drink, like I'll have coffee in the morning or whatever. But like throughout the day, I just drink so much water. And I always, always wear sunscreen. Anytime I interview someone about their skincare routine, they always wash their makeup off and SPF and drinking water. So... Yeah, everything you're doing is is great. That's why you look so young. You look yeah, and so it's good. Nothing, thank you. Oh, thank you so much. And it's <laughs> nothing that nobody else can do, right? Obviously, getting older, you add different things. You change your routine in regards to your regular skincare. But those are the things that I've always done my entire life. Mm -hmm. Three things. And my sister, I'm five and seven years older than my sisters. And they get so mad because people will think that I'm the youngest one. And you're just like flipping your hair, like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, she's five years, no, she's seven years older than me. And then they are like, they were just saying that to be nice. And I'm like, no, they weren't. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, they actually believe that. And I'm embracing it. <laughs> exactly. Of course, this is only a sister would say that. Like, it was my friend, like, oh, girl, they don't know what they're talking about. We look the same age. And I'm like, yeah. no, nah, they do. And then my sister's like, they weren't joking. I look awesome. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Wine break. Time to refill that glass and come back for more wine and cheese. Given the purchasing power of the Latinx community, let me just tell you, mi gente, we are no longer a sleeping giant. And your dollar, our dollar, is powerful no matter where you go. That's why I'm excited to share that in conjunction with Cadena Collective, we have launched a Pozole and Wine Pairing Guide. You might think, what? That's interesting. Or what? That's weird. Or what? Heck no, no way. But you know what? We all like to enjoy different things. This truly only featured Latino-owned wine brands have worked really, really hard to provide wines that go with so many of our foods. So if you've even considered trying tamales and wine, or you've even considered trying pozole and wine, head over to the wineandcheesemypodcast.com, click on media, and there you will find the various resources to pair your wine. Growing up when you had these feelings, and by the way, first of all, I will say I get the whole, my middle sister, she did not talk at all. So when you were saying like your anxiety and like not Ooh. talking and everything, I, that's how my sister was. And she's totally different now. Like you would never guess that's how she was growing up. Literally, my parents 
had to go into the classroom with her when they take their little verbal test to go into first grade. And the teacher would ask a question. My sister would whisper the answer to my parents and then my parents would have to answer. She wouldn't even talk to the teacher. Yeah, no, I was that same way. I was actually, I want to say second grade put in ESL because they thought, yeah, it's like, oh, does she understand what's going on? Like, yeah, I do. It was just, I honestly can't even explain it. I, it was just this fear. I was just so anxious in class and I didn't, I don't know. It's like, I didn't want my voice to be heard. Like I just was so scared to raise my hand and I'd be lying if I said that that wasn't part of the reason why I went into this career because you have to be very naked (laughs) to write and, and be comfortable with putting your words out there. You're, I feel very vulnerable. I, I definitely felt more vulnerable starting out in my career. Now it's kind of like, okay, it's out there, but it's scary to write yeah. something that's that like a personal essay, for example, and, and having your name attached to it. And, you know, my background being, you know, I was a kid who didn't raise her hand in school and like, wasn't very talkative at all to go from that to, Hey, let me write about, you know, my anxiety and like finding a therapist of color. Cause I'll feel that connection and, and putting that out there is, is definitely a big jump, but thinking about it that way, definitely like I want to I want to give a hug to little me, you know, like, oh, you've yeah. come so far. I think yeah. anytime we find that side of ourselves, because that was one of the things that I was so nervous about initially when I started the podcast, because you're putting yourself out there for people to judge. Right. And I'm super extroverted, but that's still very like now I'm like we were talking prior to me hitting record. I'm almost, you know, three years in and I'm kind of like, eh, and I've been letting my audience and the listeners know a little bit more about Mm. me as we go along. But it was very, very hard at the beginning. I didn't want to share really much about myself at all because for, and, and even just any type of platform, whether it's writing, whether it's radio, whether it's podcasting, whether it's TV, people will find anything to criticize. They can, you know, they, I could, and thankfully I've, I feel so blessed. I've had a couple of trolls, but not really. Mm. I feel like the community that I've built and I'm telling, and please let me know if you feel the same way on your end has just been so overwhelmingly supportive. Mm -hmm. I don't really get a lot of trolls or anything and knock on wood. I still know that I don't, but Mm -hmm. I just feel like I'm better prepared to be able to handle that just because of the community that I've built. Yeah as things continue to grow. How do you feel like you've changed as a person like three years later since starting? I think I'm more willing to let people in a little bit more Mm. versus before I just didn't want to. And there's still some things that I haven't talked about because it doesn't just affect me, it affects my family. And Mm -hmm. I think I would really have to have that conversation and I don't think they're ready for that to be perfectly honest. But the things that haven't changed is my curiosity for people because I've always been that way. I've always been that kid who's like, hi, I'm Jessica, tell me all about you. And now I get to do that as an adult, but and just drink wine and record it. <laughs> That's It's the dream. It's the dream. Girl, I grew up in San Diego. So I had some proximity to LA, but it wasn't like super easy to get there. Right. Mm-hmm. It wasn't super easy. It wasn't super. And I started a lot of things late because of different circumstances. But I think the thing is you just keep persevering. If there's something you really want, you you keep pushing and you find 
if you're from a small town and you want to write, like, what are the publications in your small town? Who do you admire? How can you reach out to them? LinkedIn is such a huge, there's so many people willing to say yes, more people willing to say yes than no. One of my life mantras is if you don't, if you don't ask the question, the answer is always no. Yep. So, and if somebody says no, that doesn't change the position that you're in. You're still in the same position. So what was your, like growing up kind of, what was the the thing? First of all, I had two questions. First was writing the thing that kind of would pull you from and help you manage your anxiety and pull you from that. And then second, what was the thing that just kind of kept you persevering to the things that you wanted to do? Yes, I've always loved to write English, writing, like the favorite subjects in school, like hands down. I I just felt like it came naturally to me and it was just being a quiet kid, you know? It, it was something that I could just do from anywhere. I could take my little notepad, pen, and just start writing and, and imagining different worlds and just start fantasizing and, and putting that to paper. And it was just very freeing. It was kind of like an escape for me. So that definitely helped growing up. And then what was the second question? What, like, what was the thing that kind of kept, you knew you wanted to do this, but you, like, we get knocked down. Like, what are the things that kind of kept you going to do what you wanted to do? Um, I feel like I keep mentioning 12 year old me, but it is so true to my story. Like I vividly remember just being 12, being in my parents' kitchen And my dad's saying there's mail. I go to get it because he says there's mail for me. And it was my first ever issue of 17 magazine. Jessica Simpson was on the cover. She was still with Nick Lachey. (laughs) So it was like (laughs) back in the day. I just remember I remember that magazine when I was a kid. (laughs) I love that was my favorite magazine. And I just remember being in that kitchen and taking like a good hour just like looking through this was right after school. So I had homework to do. But I just really prioritized that magazine. And it was something that I looked forward to every single month. I just kept thinking to myself, like, oh, it'd be really cool to be a part of this process. Like, I I would love to just be a part of the team that like puts this together because I just noticed how much joy it was bringing me. I mean, it was fun. It was a lot of fun content, but then there was also substance in there too. Like, I remember there was a section of that issue or the issue after that about suicide rates increasing like among college students and reading that as a 12 year old was intense but I was super informed (laughs) about what was going on you know and it just really left such an impact on me and for being such a insecure kid at that age and just feeling like whoa like this is what I want to do I don't know anyone who does this like my I'm I'm the first in my immediate family to graduate from college. Like my parents had, you know, dreams of me becoming a doctor, you know, or a lawyer, having a financially stable career. And I just was so obsessed with like working for this magazine or just working for a magazine in general. And so that really fueled me. Like I wanted to prove to them, like, I usually don't take risks, but this is a risk that I'm going to take. Like, I really just want to work in this industry. And so I just kept thinking back to that time in the kitchen. I did for a brief moment, like in high school, consider becoming a dentist because I felt that pressure. Like, oh, I'm going to be going to college soon. Maybe magazines, you know, isn't the right choice. But I took AP Chem senior year of high school, hated it, and then was brought back (laughs) to that moment in my (laughs) reality. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, all right, 
let me just do what I always set out to do. So, um, and I love how you're yeah. very specific in regards to magazine because that's oh, what yeah. impacted you. Yeah. Yep. I loved it. Yes. What was the first like break? I know you said you did all of these internships and everything like that. So first of all, what was the article, the moment and the article that you saw your byline and you're like, holy crap, I made it. Because right, the first time you're like, oh my gosh, because I'm sure, were you part of like the college newspaper and stuff like that? Yeah, I was an editor at the paper. I had no social life in college. Like I, that's how obsessed I was. I'm like, I need to make this happen. Like I, you know, did things on campus that were related to to journalism and and magazines. And then whenever I kind of scheduled it in, to do some internships on the side, virtual ones, in-person ones. And so my first ever on-site internship was for this magazine. They folded. I'm pretty sure the website is still up, but it's called Women's Day magazine. And so I was a web intern there. That was my first ever on-site internship. And it was um, in the city over the summer. And I I wrote this like servicey, like listicle about the best road trip apps for family vacation. I I saw my name up there and it was it was like a drug. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, this is so cool. Like it's up there." And it's so funny being an intern and just feeling so excited about something like that and then being surrounded by editors who are just kind of jaded at that point like, "Oh yeah, you know, we write all these articles, you know." Yeah. <laughs> like it's no big deal, but it just it left such an impact on me. I'm like, "This is great. Like I want to keep doing this forever and ever." I initially thought I was going to be in uh, print journalism and working for like print magazines, but it wasn't until doing a few internships that I realized like, I want to stay digital. Like I love the rush of being able to, you know, write something and just see my name up there, like it going live an hour later, you know, I'll never forget that feeling. I still get that feeling, honestly, (laughs) whenever I see my name. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I would totally imagine. I geek out anytime (laughs) <laughs> anybody references anything, right? They're like, Oh, yeah. I found this wine because of the list or Oh, this or Oh, that Oh, I found this purse. And I, I don't write anything anymore. I used to a long time ago. But anytime there's something that you're really passionate about, and people and you get to see your name, or you get to see your work, or you get to see somebody reference something mm-hmm. that you've done. It's so, like you said, it's a rush. It's so exciting. Yeah, I mean, I I was so excited. Like I wanted to cry. It's like, Oh my gosh, like this is, you know, this piece on road trip apps. Like I it's up there. My name is there. Like I remember telling my parents about it and you know, it's, it's a little harder for them. You know, there is that language barrier. So they're not, they'll attempt to read it. They're very excited about, you know, whatever I'm doing. They're excited when I'm excited. So I really appreciate that. But it just felt like, like it was all worth it. You know, like their sacrifice, like, my dad would sometimes come into my room, like in college, like I would be, you know, rushing through like writing this, this paper that was due in like two hours, because I was so focused on career stuff, for example, like making sure that my projects for my internship were done. And like my section of the newspaper was edited on time. And he, you know, would always say like, you know, you're not really getting sleep. Like, this is really like, are you sure that you want to keep doing this? And I, I would always tell him, and I still tell him to this day, whenever I have, you know, my schedule gets really crazy. Like this is what I've always wanted to do. And it could be stressful. It can be stressful, like any job, but 
I'm just so happy, you know, like I wouldn't trade it for anything. I'm just very happy (laughs) and I'm, I'm proud of myself. And I think now that I'm older, I think back then I was very, I guess, humble in that sense where I didn't want to say that as much, or I felt like, okay, that's kind of understood. Like, yeah, I got this cool internship or I got this cool job and I worked hard for it. Okay. But on to the next, whereas now I really am like sitting in it and like, wow, like this is, I can't acknowledge that this is cool. <laughs> like yeah. what I'm doing right now is making me so happy. And I am proud of myself. And I think saying that out loud, especially is very impactful. So oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I encourage everyone to do it because it's, it's honestly, it's like a free therapy session. Just like look at yourself, <laughs> look at yourself in the mirror and just tell yourself that, just say that to yourself. And it could be awkward, honestly, in the beginning, but it's like, you deserve to tell that person in the mirror how proud you are of him or her. It's, oh, it's just so important. We don't do that enough. Like we were talking prior yeah. to a starting, we don't do those things enough. When you look back on when you were starting from your internship to now, did you see a reflection of other people who look like you or didn't, or, you know, like similar background? And has that changed in the time that your career has progressed? Have you seen a change in diversity and voices from when you started versus now? Yes, definitely. Let's see, in my internships, I felt like definitely did not see many people who, you know, had a similar last name to mine <laughs> or like came from a similar background. So that was tough. But especially now freelancing, it's only been a few months, but it's wild just being able to work for brands and publications that are publishing stories from people who who I can relate to specifically, you know, whereas before a lot of the articles that were being published were just you know, from one point of view, you know, like something like, I want to say maybe a year or two ago, I wrote this piece on, you know, being first gen and going to uh, social workers and counselors growing up in school that like weren't Latina. And I didn't really feel comfortable expressing myself. And then going from that to getting older and then finding a therapist who was also first gen and was Latina and just being able to connect on that level. And it really just helping my journey and being able to write about that, getting DMS from people who felt compelled to be like, wow, like this is like inspiring me to, you know, seek out a black therapist or like, you know, someone that, that I can relate to on that level that I feel comfortable talking about my story with. And so I'm seeing a lot of articles like that out there where it's very specific and it's catered to different communities. Whereas before starting out, I didn't really see much of that. You've done a lot of entertainment. You do a lot. You've love, done a lot of interviews. Love what pop is your, culture. Yeah, I was about to say. So what is your <laughs> favorite thing? And who has been your favorite? If you want to say who your least favorite person to interview is, you can. But and who has been your favorite person to interview? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could share both. Um, I Girl, always say, the ch- look, see this. It's time to spill I the cheap. Listen, I'm all about that. That's why I love pop culture and like working in entertainment. No, I want to say, oh, favorite. I've met a lot of really cool people that I really enjoyed speaking to, but I want to say like top two. Zoe Saldana and Justin Baldoni. Oh, love, love them both. Zoe Saldana, I interviewed twice, once on the phone, once in person. 
and I remember her talking to her on the phone and it was like a few minutes of just chatting and shooting the breeze. And I remember telling her like, yeah, like I'm one of my best friends, like birthday party later. And she, at the very end of the interview, like remembered that and was like, I hope you have a great time. Like wear a really sexy dress, be sure to pregame. Like, it was just a really cute, like, oh, wow. Like that's, she remembered and like, she cares and like, she wants to make that connection. Um, she's also from Queens. So it felt very like, okay, cool. We could talk about that. Justin Baldoni, who, I don't know if you watched Jane Raphael from yes. Jane Virgin. Yes, <laughs> I love him so much. And, and the author we, of Man Enough. Yes, yes. And he has another book that I think just came out too. Um, but he, oh, such a lovely person. We spoke on the phone and at one point of the interview, he was, he said, I feel like you have such a beautiful soul is what he said to me. And thank God it was over the phone because I got so red and was like hyperventilating. I'm like this man, <laughs> who I have such a crush on, just said this to me. No, but he was he was really great. And for Lee's favorite, you know, I didn't really great. I didn't get great vibes from Bobby Flay. Like he was that's kind of not rude. shocking. I know it's not. And every time I tell people, they're like, "That's not surprising." I'm like, I know, but it was weird <laughs> experiencing that in person. Like, oh God, I really don't want to piss you off. <laughs> not that I was doing anything to piss him off but it was just this strange like oh he definitely doesn't want to be here <laughs> like he doesn't want to like turn it on for a few minutes so yeah that was a very strange experience yeah that would be hard I've had I've been very very fortunate on this and I think there's a couple of reasons right I've interviewed a couple of a few very high profile people but most of the people that I interview I want this to be a place because I, to me I feel like everybody has a story just because you're not a celebrity, just because you're not a quote unquote influencer, just because you're not, you know, that doesn't mean that your story is any less valuable. Yep. So I feel like that's part of my job is to bring that out, help people bring out their story. I've only had one interview that hasn't, that didn't air. And I think she was just very nervous. And mm -hmm. like by the end, after she had some wine, it was, she loosened up and everything. But I just was trying to figure out, it was truly like pulling teeth at the beginning of that interview. Then by the time I was like, well, let me see if I can salvage it. It kind of timed out in regards to the things that we were discussing. So it, that's, I've only had one thing, but first of all, I know that you're probably like, thank you for sharing your time with me. And like you're writing because you have a job to do and everything. But it's also like, these people have stuff to promote, especially in pop culture, right? These people have stuff to promote. I get that you might be exhausted, but don't they think that you're like, I would think that they would, or maybe they obviously don't think this, but <laughs> some people don't think this, but you're not there for shits and giggles either. You have a job to do. And if they can help you, you can help them. And it makes everybody's job easier. Why be so mulo yeah. about it? Yeah, 100%. It's also like, you only, so on red carpets, for example, you only get like less than five minutes to talk to these people, like two, three questions max. And so I just remember, you know, being at people and being an editor there and working a few red carpets thinking, you know, some people like, why can't they just be nicer? Like they're literally just, it's, it's like a, just like a walkthrough. Like they're answering a question here for this one publication going, you know, to the next one, answering another question. It's very quick. And so I feel that so hard. <laughs> I'm just like, why, why can't you just, you know, be nice? But honestly, I, overall, it's been a super positive experience, like just interviewing 
these people and meeting these like high profile celebrities but man bobby flay though he needs to <laughs> yeah like i said that's not cheer up. yeah that's not surprising but you yeah. now, you have your own project viva la mujer yes uh, latinas that inspire latinas que insp inspiran and you literally like you've just run the gamut of people again like um actually you've interviewed pam Covorubias. she's actually a good friend of mine no way Let, oh i live that. three blocks away from each other Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. We actually just had met because we're doing something for Latina Equal Pay Day. We did something mm -hmm. last year and it's going to be different because of how late it is. Mm. We actually, Latinas have actually reverted from being mm. at 58 cents to 54 cents to each white man's dollar. So, oh, gosh. Yeah. Which means it takes almost two years, right? To, to make the same dollar. You know, you really talk about a lot of different things when you're going in here. And I love, you're, I feel like connected in, in regards to the thing that you're focusing on Latinas who inspire, but you're not like, that's the thread that connects all of these women, right? But they're all different things. They're all authors, PR people, coaches, all of these kind of different things that in all of these different areas that we do, but it's not like you're not focusing on just one thing. You're focusing on women across the board, Latinas across the board who inspire. So I love that. What made you want to do that? Oh, so it was actually during quarantine. I was not, it was not a great time. Obviously like no one enjoyed like peak of quarantine. Like that was just awful. Um, I was going through a breakup at that point. It was, I was away from my family. I was living in Chicago. And it was just a really dark time. And I wanted to create something that honestly, selfishly would make me happy and would inspire me um, while also, you know, providing this resource to other people who, you know, going back to 12 year old Grace, like I would have loved to have come across something like that and just reading all these different stories. And I knew that I wanted to keep it super diverse. I wanted to, you know, not only feature editors and writers, but honestly, just anyone that had a really cool story and a really cool job, everyone that I featured, I just feel so blessed to everyone and so thankful because everyone is just so excited, you know, to be featured on this site that I like, it started off as just this little passion project. And it honestly, it brings me so much joy. Like whenever I need a source of inspiration, whenever I'm feeling down, I just go on Viva La Mujer dot me. <laughs> <laughs> like, let me just read this interview. And I try to keep those interviews, you know, very like pretty well-rounded. Like I want to know about how they got to where they are, but then also, you know, get a little deeper and see, you know, what they would tell their 15 year old self or, you know, how they battle imposter syndrome. And so it's honestly, it's been such a real treat for me to, to do that. And yeah, super grateful to everyone who said yes. Yes. Yeah. And I, I, I feel that too. I always feel like anytime somebody says, yes, I'm including yourself. Oh, it because I feel very honored, honestly. Yeah. Girl, <laughs> what has been, and I think we don't talk about this enough and I always feel like we need to, what was like a low point? Was there ever a time where you're like, this is not going to happen? And how did you get yourself like a time where maybe you did fail or you were on the verge of failure? And how did you get yourself out of that? I want to say recently, but because I did a lot of work on myself, 
leading up to that moment, it it didn't last very long. But I was recently laid off from my last full-time gig. And so I was there for about a year and I was part of the second round of layoffs. Thankfully, before that happened, though, I was seriously considering going full-time freelance. So it kind of felt like the push that I needed. But, you know, no, it's not fun to get laid off. So when that happened, it was, I want to say maybe like a good, like that day that it happened, I I mean, I was, I was down like, oh, this, like, what does this say about me? Like, is it a performance thing? They said it wasn't, but maybe it is just like all these different things that I just kept thinking about and, you know, talking to my family about it. And then it kind of, I kind of stopped myself from getting to that dark place. Like, no, like I know my worth. I know that people that I've worked with in the past, say that they love working with me. I do good work. I can't let this keep me from continuing continuing to pursue what I set out to do. This can't stop me. And so right after that happened the next day, I treated it like a work day. I got up early, went to the gym, came back and just started just emailing different contacts, like people that I've met before, people who I admire that work at companies that I love. Like, hey, are you looking for a copywriter? Are you looking for a content strategist? Like, how can I help you? And just starting to set up calls. I think that really helped me. Just not letting getting laid off define me. Like, I really just wanted to kind of take it, like put a little positive spin on it and just remind myself this isn't the end. You know, this is the start of something new. It's a new journey. It's a new adventure. And I'm honestly, I'm so much happier now just being full-time freelance. But yeah, that was definitely a dark moment. And thankfully it didn't last very long, but um, it was tough. It's hard. No, because yeah. I, I've been laid off. And it, it, when you get to that point, you're like, you do think those things, the imposter syndrome is Ooh. so, it, it can creep in so easy at that point. What is next? Like, is it your freelance now? Mm-hmm. Is it kind of just, what do you want? What's next? Oh my gosh. I I just want to do it all. I'm generally like a very, like for someone who battles anxiety and depression, I'm very positive when it comes to like my career. So I'm just very like, yes, I could do whatever I like set my mind to. And, you know, there's this cool publication, like Selena Gomez's new mental health site. Like she's uh, launched Wondermind. I just decided to reach out to like one of the editors there and pitched a story. And I feel like right now I like nothing is holding me back where if I see someone that I think is doing really cool stuff, I'll reach out to them with a pitch. You know, it's nothing is going to stop me from doing that. Like you said, like what, like it's an automatic no, if you don't at least try, (laughs) you know? So I just want to, continue doing that just keep working with really cool brands like I am filling in with for the um, editorial director at Sunday Riley so like that's pretty steady right now I'm writing for Glamour Mike doing some copywriting for JLo Beauty like there's a lot of cool stuff that is happening right now that I'm just so grateful for and I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do those things if I wasn't laid off which is what I'm telling myself like wow it all happens for a reason Um, I'm still, I'm open to like, if there is a full-time position that catches my eye, that excites me, then I'll consider going back. But I think for right now, I really just want to give it a fair shot for about a year and then I'll, I'll see, but I just, I love the opportunity of being able to work for just different brands and publications, like in all capacities. So it's been really fun. It's a lot of work, but I'm excited. (laughs) 
I always like to give people the opportunity to share anything, whether it's project or whether just any final words, if there's something I didn't ask, or it's something that you wanted to share that, you know, we haven't touched on, please like take this opportunity. You have the floor, whatever you want to say. It's so funny because you actually mentioned it earlier, but I'm such a proponent for just reaching out to people that you've always wanted to reach out to, but might be like scared to. These people are not scary. They're just like you and me. Honestly, send them a message on LinkedIn, go on their website. Like if it's a writer, for example, that you admire, they probably have a portfolio, contact info, reach out to them, you know, maybe set up an informational interview if you want to, you know, talk to them about potentially working together or, you know, just, just don't be afraid to connect with people. And I've always, I've, I've been saying that for years and it's really helped me out. But I also personally always say yes to any, like anytime a college student, for example, wants to set up a 30 minute call just to talk about my career. I always say yes, because I just think back to how it was <laughs> like being in that place. And um, yeah, I just think we have to help each other out. And I'm very much an advocate of that. Yes, I agree. And here's my tips. If you're going to do that, have a reason, right? Sometimes it's just like, look, I admire your work and I just wanted to share that. You know, if and if you want to ask for their time and they say yes, be prepared. Mm. They're giving of their time. So if they're like, if you're like, I would love to discuss, like this is what I've done and I would love to discuss or get your opinion or whatever or talk or, but have like, be prepared when you sit down with those people, right? Don't just yeah. be like, sit down and be like, um, so yeah. No, be prepared, <laughs> right? 1,000%. If, if you're prepared, then that shows that person you value their time. You're valuing your time. You're valuing their time. And they're more likely to follow through in regards to the things that you need help with. And I think a lot of people, like they say yes, because they've, they've asked the question as well, right? So mm -hmm. what's going to be the difference between you and somebody else who succeeds? It might just be the asking the right people. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I also something I would always do. And a few people have done it for me too, but just sending like a $5 Starbucks gift card at the end of it, just to say thank you. Cause like you said, it is, it's, it's a valuable time. You know, we're all really busy. So to be able to set that time aside, to be able to talk to someone who's, you know, up and coming in their career is, is major. And you know, just be sure to say thank you. I've yes. talked to a few people who like haven't sent an email to say thank you after it. And I'm just kind of like, oh, I wish you did. Because <laughs> it is like a big, you and know, thing you to be able good to. too, yeah. that they appreciated it. Exactly. Okay, so your website, because I still have it up, uh, <laughs> is vivalamujer.me, M-E. How else can people reach you? Yeah, I'm always posting about my cat on Instagram. So feel free to <laughs> <laughs> follow me and Pepito on Instagram. It's just my name, Grace Gavilanes. Um, I was on Twitter, but I'm not, I'm going to be exiting that platform soon. <laughs> so Instagram is, is the way, is the way to go. If you want to reach out and follow, keep up yes. with what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, I hardly ever, I'm not, a, I have to use Twitter for work. But personally, I like rarely get on it. Yeah, I, it's just Same. such a dumpster fire in there. And if there's something worthwhile, people will screenshot it and share it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. 
Grace, thank you so much. Sorry, I'm I telling her we started this interview late because I could not sleep last night. So I appreciate you being so flexible and being able to push us back a little bit so I could, so I didn't look like the walking dead when I got on here. <laughs> it's it's all good. I'm so honored that, you know, you took the time to, to chat with me. This is awesome. I've never been on a podcast interview that requires wine. Not that you require wine of all your guests, but this was definitely a treat. <laughs> good, good. Look, I think... For me, maybe I've never really said this, and maybe this is something I need to say. I love wine, but I also think, and maybe it's just turned into this for me, it's an opportunity to celebrate our stories. And what better way to celebrate it is with, yeah. with a good glass of wine. Yeah. Um, and if you don't drink wine, I'm okay with that. I will celebrate for you with a good glass of yes. wine. But <laughs> there's so many stories that need to be told, that need to be shared, that need to be amplified. And... I want to celebrate each and every one. So, salud. Until next Love time, that. mi gente. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Chisme podcast. For more information on today's guest, please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. You can check out all things Wine and Chisme on our website, thewineandchismepodcast.com. There, you will find the names of wines I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on social media at The Wine and Cheesemate on Instagram and at The Wine and Cheesemate Podcast on Facebook. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Cheesemate, please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are appreciated and those positive reviews are appreciated even more. Until next time, saludos.